Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Happy Sunday, you all. Happy Sunday. It's a blessing. Thank you. It's a blessing to be here with you all. Uh, as Matt mentioned, Pastor Steve's away this week, and I have the honor of uh, going over some scripture with you guys, teaching you guys, hopefully, what God has been speaking to me, and hopefully, uh, God will move. So if you all don't mind rising for the reading of God's word, we are going to be in Galatians 2, verses 11. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. One of the ushers will take care of you. I believe we have both English and Spanish Bibles, so if you need a Bible, please raise your hand, and we'll get you one. Okay, Galatians 2. Yeah, if you need a Bible, please raise your hand, we'll, we'll get you one. All right, Galatians 2, 11 through 14 says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I, this is Paul writing, withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in a manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Jew Gentiles to live as Jews? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for um, just the clarity that you give in it, Lord. Holy Spirit, I just praise you for illuminating this text to me, and I'm excited to see that what you're going to do this morning, God. I pray that my words would be your words, Lord. I pray that we would all have ears and hearts to receive what you, what you have for us, God. Uh, Father, I also just pray for Pastor Steve and Stephanie as they are traveling. I pray for travel mercies. I pray for a great time with their daughter, and I pray that uh, she would be encouraged and blessed by them as well. Lord, we love you. Lord, I pray that you would do a mighty work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, please be seated. So one of my favorite, and I say this every time I teach, and I'll probably say it for the rest of my life as long as I have the opportunity to teach, one of my favorite things about teaching is that while I'm preparing for the teaching, God does this, like, he just meets me in a, a way that I don't normally get to meet God. Uh, the way he illuminates his scripture, the way that he uh, just uh, is so clear on questions, and he'll bring up different topics for me, um, whether it be in his word or outside of his word, he'll bring up topics and then he'll answer them. And it's just, been, it's just always such a blessing to, to study his word uh, and then be able to have the opportunity to share it. So I've been meditating on this question for the last, it's probably been about five or six months now. And I've asked many of you in this room this question. Uh, I know I've asked Josh Davis. I know I've asked quite a few of you guys in this room. And the question is this, I think we have it. Is there a discrepancy, is there a lack of agreement, a difference between the life a Christian tells other people they can have and the life that they're actually living in Christ? And if so, why? 
And I'll just let you think about that for a second, and I'll read it one more time. Is there a discrepancy? Is there a difference between the life a Christian tells other people that they can have in Christ and the life those people that are saying it actually are living in Christ? And if so, why? Now, I thought about this question as a lot of, my, a lot of people I've, uh, I grew up with spiritually, uh, either I, I, I look at their lives now and um, they're either not following God or they, they'll come on Sundays and there's just no joy, there's no hope, there's no peace, there's no structure in their lives. And, and it breaks my heart. And I've been wrestling with this question. I went back to Vegas and I saw this. I'm, I grew up in Las Vegas for those who don't know. And I saw this uh, over and over again, and it just broke my heart. And I just was left to ask this question. And when I am confronted with a question like this, I typically look inward first. And I highly recommend you do the same, right? Lord, is there something in my life? Am I telling people, like, am I telling family members that they can have this life in Christ that I'm actually not living, right? Do I actually believe what God has been telling me and this life that I can have? Do I believe that? Is that... Is that real to me? And when I, I've been asking a lot of people, I think one of the best answers was I was playing basketball in Las Vegas and I asked a, uh, a guy who, I, I just met him this, sun, uh, this Saturday playing basketball. He happened to be a Christian and I was invited to play with him. And I asked him this question, or he overhears me ask another guy who invited me to play basketball this question. And uh, he says, man, Jordan, that's a good question. And he doesn't give me an answer. And I'm like, man, that's frustrating. Like, thank you for highlighting it's a good question, but I'm trying to just really work through this, and I trust other believers, and that's the beauty of community is that you can wrestle with these questions together. At the end of playing basketball, he drops a one-liner. We're leaving, we're in, the bi- we're in the parking lot, and he says, Jordan, it's because people aren't living out the Bible. And then he gets, on his, he gets in his car, and he dips out like he leaves. I'm like, this is, <laughs> what a guy. But I... Diving into that, there, I think there are four points today in this, these verses. I was going through Galatians. Um, anytime I feel, Galatians is an incredible book. It's absolutely incredible. It's a book that really started the modern-day Reformation. Uh, when I say that, it's a book that religious people were reading, religious people that were following rules, right? They were following these rules around the 1500 and their leaders were telling them to follow these rules, and that's how you become uh, right before God. And these religious people got their hands on Scripture, and they're reading Galatians, and they see that, wait a minute, rules don't, rules don't make me right before God. Living a good life doesn't make me right before God. Only Jesus putting my faith in him makes me right before God, and it's, it's by faith alone. So I love going to Galatians when I'm struggling with anything around like rules because it, it reminds me the freedom that we have in Christ and the purpose of the rules that God has put in place throughout the course of history. But then I, got led, I was led to these verses in Galatians, and if you were in the college group a couple years ago, we've gone through this together. Um, I've had the, I taught this many times, but for the first time, I saw this in a new light. Now, if we go just to... Galatians 2, just to paint the picture, Paul writes to Galatians, back then there wasn't, writing wasn't quick, right? There wasn't like an email chain where you can go back and forth, and I almost am, um, I almost wish Paul did have an email, because I think we would have so much more, but 
when you think about how long it took for a letter to get to Paul and Paul to write back to, a le- write back to these churches, uh, it took a while. And Paul planted these churches on one of his mission trips, his missionary trips, and he's writing to a group of churches in Galatia. And what's happening in these group of churches, Paul finds out that these churches that became Christians, they, they, heard, they heard the gospel and what Jesus did for them. They heard that it's by faith alone. They heard that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It equals salvation, not Jesus plus these rules and laws. They heard this. They fell in love with Christ. They gave their lives to Christ, and they started walking with the Lord. But what happened was is that other people came in. We'll call them Judaizers. Just these other religious people came in and said, hey, Paul's right. It's Jesus, right? It is Jesus, but it's Jesus plus something else. Right? He gets these, these, these religious leaders come in and they start to infiltrate the church and they're like, Paul calls them spies to, to spy out the freedom that they had in Christ. And they're like, no, 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 it's, it's Jesus plus something else and, in, and that something else was typically circumcision. So it's Jesus plus this work is what makes you right before God. Right? And Paul's not there. Paul's not there to defend the gospel and what's happening is that these leaders are I think these people actually, by our own nature, we like the idea that we could add on to, we could have some type of doing in this work, in our salvation. We can do something to earn our right standing before God. We, I think by nature, we like to do that. When we were babies, our, our parents, told, when you do something good, they're like, great job, right? What makes you want to do more good things? If there, There's this idea that you love to think that you actually can contribute to something. That's... I'll leave it there. So what Paul, what happened was these people started to believe that, and Paul is just losing his mind. I mean, he starts this letter off, you know, same salute, same greeting, salutation, same, you know, explains who he is, uh, gives him grace, then peace, but doesn't pray for him. He just puts on the boxing gloves and goes, right? He just goes, and he just, like, explain like, the first two chapters are kind of like a biography of, like, his of why he believes, like why he's so serious about what he believes. And he explains in verse 11 a, uh, an incident where he had to confront another leader in the church, right? He confronts Peter. So let's read. If you don't mind me reading, let's see what he does. It says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came and withdrew, he separated himself, fearing those who were the circumcision. Peter was playing the hypocrite, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But the fact that Paul rebukes Peter is evidence that there isn't a person in this room that doesn't need a person, someone in their life, to keep them accountable. And I'll say that one more time. The evidence, the fact, the fact that Paul confronts Peter on his behavior, Peter being the, the rock, right? Peter being one of the four founders of, our, of the modern church. The fact that he had to be confronted is evidence that there isn't a person in this room that doesn't need somebody in their life to confront them, to encourage them, to challenge them. Proverbs 20, I think, it's, yeah, Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron, many of you know this, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens a man or a person sharpens a person. And Peter is 
he's human. I love seeing this. He's not somebody to put on a pedal stool and think that he was perfect. He was far from it. If you, if you know scripture, you know that Peter is constantly having his foot in his mouth, doing something crazy. Uh, but when Paul sees Peter's actions here, Paul can't help but confront him. And my question is, why? Why does, why does Paul highlight uh, Peter, especially in the open? Why does he confront him? Now, let's read it. Let's continue to read. I'll start in 12 just to kind of continue. For certain men came from James. He would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And verse 13 says, and the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Peter was playing the hypocrite. His actions were being, he was being hypocritical in his actions. And we'll talk about what that means in a minute. But the reality is, and this is a hot topic. I know Josue and I were, were in youth group a couple weeks ago, and he says, hot topic. Good people don't go to heaven. Safe people do. I was like, that's a good, that's a good hot topic. This is another hot topic. People are observing and imitating your actions, whether you think it or not. Right? People are observing your actions. They're watching you, whether you like it or not. They're copying you. They're imitating you, whether you like it or not. They're learning from you. One of the things, in a positive light, what does that look like? I have a video, and I love this video. I think this video is absolutely hilarious, but it also just makes me smile every time I see it. You guys, many probably have seen this. Is this little baby. So I doubt that this baby's parent said, you know, whatever her name is, uh, I'll call her Evangeline because I'm looking at Emberly. You know, I, I doubt the, those parents said, okay, Evangeline, when this music, when you hear this music, this is what you do. You raise your hand and you sway, right? You sway, right? That's just not what happens, right? This baby is imitating their parents and their parents probably didn't, or somebody in the church, they probably, probably was in, in community and saw people worshiping God, and this baby started to, to imitate them, right? What, people didn't know that, right? And that's just a child, but I, can, I think that this transitions into all areas of life. I think at our job, in our workplace, I think uh, in our community, I think in our home especially, I think in our family, when we're going out with our friends, I think people are watching and observing, and I think that uh, our behavior, you, we need to be reminded that people are watching and observing, and our behavior has to be one that is worthy of being observing and, and imitating. Now, that's the, that's the beauty of, of like people imitating you. Now, what are some of the... What are some of the, the, the bad behaviors that some may imitate, right? The first thing I thought of when I was preparing for this were conversations, right? I think about the conversations that I'm in, whether it be at work or uh, when I was in school, at school. And I think about, you know, at work, if you're complaining about your boss, right, especially 
as a believer, if you're complaining about your boss, it's going to be very easy for somebody to hop in that conversation, right? People are going to be led to complain about them with you, and they're going to be, next thing you know, you're in this bickering conversation that brings no joy nor has no purpose. Another one is I think about when people complain about their spouse, and this one's probably my most frustrating one, um, because, because of the importance of marriage, right? Marriage means... The purpose of marriage being to, imit, to give a picture of Christ in his church, right? So when I hear a husband complain about his wife, uh, I mean, it, it frustrates me. It breaks my heart. Um, and I wouldn't want to join into it, but God forbid somebody else joins into it and they start complaining about their spouse, right? Especially if it's at work, the, the, the loophole, the hole that that puts in the wall that allows the enemy to come in and attack, I think another one when I'm playing sports, when I'm, things like basketball. Many of you have, I've played basketball with many of you. Many of you have seen me groan in the way I've played basketball. Not necessarily my talents. I think they're probably the same as when I was in seventh grade. But my attitude, I've, I remember when I first became a Christian, I first moved to Boston. And for the first few years, I would, I just was so used to talking smack on the courts. When I say talking smack, I was just like kind of competitive. Oh, you're not, you know, just down, down talking the, the other team. Or if my team makes a, misses a shot, like, what are you doing? That was an awful shot. There was a point a few years ago after getting into many fights, like as a Christian, there was a point a couple years ago where the Lord convicted me. And I was like, man, I have to be a witness of God on these courts. People are watching. And I think it was actually somebody in this church that challenged me. Like, people are watching what we do. Like, we're we used to pray before we played. Like, people knew we were Christians, and people were watching what we did. They were watching our behavior. And that was fueling other people to bicker and kind of fight each other on the courts and things like that. But now I decided, when I decided, okay, I just want to be encouraging, it's one of the most, it's one of the funnest, I, I love playing basketball now in a different way. Like, I encourage, if somebody makes a good shot on me, I'm like, I'm pumping them up like I was their coach, right? I'm slapping their back and, like, borderline giving them a high five. That was a great shot. And they did it on me, right? And is the encouraging part about that is that it fuels other people. I see other people, most people, not all, I see most people on the court doing the same. They're no longer arguing with each other. It creates this environment that is a environment where we can say, well, we are, we can, the people can see that there's a difference in the way that we're playing, right? People can say, okay, I don't know, what, something's different about him, right? And what I, want there to, what, what I want to be different is I want people to see that I'm actually imitating Christ, right? I want there to be an opportunity to speak about Christ, and I want people to see that my behavior is one that's imitating Christ, so with all of that, I want to ask you, who are you imitating, right? Or who's imitating you, right? Are you aware that somebody's imitating you? And also, who are you imitating? Who are you following? Who are you paying attention to, whether cognitively or like subconsciously? If, if you know you're doing it, if you're not knowing you're doing it, are you aware that you are following somebody, you're copying somebody, and somebody's copying you? Paul says to imitate me as I imitate Christ. I believe he says that in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And that's what, that is the whole purpose of discipleship. Discipleship, just disciple means teaching, teacher, right? The whole purpose of discipleship, following somebody, 
uh, another Christian, typically older or further on in their walk, is to, to imitate how they're walking with God. But I believe that one can be a discipler and not even know it. And how scary is that when somebody's watching our behavior, right, and we don't know it? And I think about if I'm driving my cousin to play basketball with me, or if I, in, you know, how, how am I addressing the, the person that just cuts us off and we almost, you know, crash? Or, which in Boston, that seems to happen every day. Or, you know, I'm at a family gathering and we're, we're talking about jokes or talking about family members. So I just, I can't stress that enough that Paul sees that Peter's behavior is, it's not only questioning the truth of the gospel, but it's also leading people to do the same. And Paul can't handle that. Paul can't stand that. And I think that there's a few reasons why Paul can't stand that. And I think we'll, we can, let's read verses 13 and 14 and we'll, we'll see. Verses 13 says, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, with Paul, or sorry, with Peter, so that even Barnabas, who was another leader, was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in a manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to leave, live as Jews? Hypocrisy, that word literally means, uh, back in Greek, it, is, it means like to act, almost like to act in Broadway. Like you're, you're putting on a performance, you're acting. And Peter was compromising the very truth of the gospel by his actions, by the way he was acting. He was eating with Gentiles when religious people weren't around, right? Gentiles being the people that are not Jewish by, by birth. But when religious people came around, he suddenly didn't like the extra bacon on his baked potato, right? He didn't like his steak medium rare. He went back to, no, no, no. Not only do I not like this food, I don't like to eat or, or converse or sit down with the people that do like the food like this or the people that are like this. Peter, his, Peter's actions, whether he understood it or he did, I think he understood it. He, was very, he, was very, he did understand what God had for the Gentiles. And I can talk about that in a minute if time permits. But Peter's actions weren't just wrong. They were incredibly sinful. That Peter's actions, to me, when I was going through this, I'm like, man, he ex his actions expressed two things. The first was that Jesus dying on the cross wasn't enough. It didn't even the playing field for the world. It didn't finalize what the, the commandments. It didn't finalize what was needed for us to be standing before God in a rightful manner. Peter would eat with the Gentiles when, and hang out with them, but when people he saw from church came around, he was, no, no, I don't, I don't mess with them. I don't, no, 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 They're, you should live like this. You should be circumcised. You should do this. You should follow. You should do this. By Peter doing that, he was showing that there's a second class, there's second class citizens. He was saying that there's second class citizens in the kingdom of heaven, which there is not. Right? He was saying that Jesus' final work, Jesus living a, coming off his throne, living a perfect life for us, right? this, this, this is the truth of the gospel. The fact that 
Jesus lived a perfect, sinful, sinful, sinless life, rather. Lived a perfect, sinless life. Sacrificed his own life to credit us his righteousness, his perfect life on the cross. And then conquered the, de- conquered the grave, allowing us to have a relationship with God. Peter's actions were saying, well, that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough. That was a good start, but that wasn't enough. And not only were his actions saying this, his actions were saying this to the people that Paul was called to minister to. People that Paul loved. And Paul, being a a former religious leader himself, understood how, how these people were constantly bashed. They were constantly seen as second-class citizens. There was a prayer that Jewish men used to say, and many of you know it. They would wake up, and it was kind of like a, a liturgy, and they would say, Oh, God of the universe, I am so grateful that I am not a Gentile, which is a slave, a woman, <laughs> and a slave. Those are the two, sorry, Gentile, slave, and a woman. Right, those are the three, that was their three prayers. And I, Paul understood his, how wicked his heart was before this, and he sees, a, he sees a leader in the church have that same, same heart, kind of just that playing a hypocrite, understanding the freedom that he has in Christ, but having this heart that says, thank God I'm not like them. I don't know if, I don't know if Peter knew the adverse impact, the, the impact, the un, maybe it was unattended, but the impact that, uh, that the impact that his actions may have had on the people Paul was called to minister to, he may have not thought it was a big deal. And I think today, I mean, this is another hot topic. I think today that same sin is still within the church. I think the sin behind Peter's hypocrisy in the false teachings, right, this Jesus plus something that we're finding their way in the churches of Galatia, I think that same sin has found its way into our church, not our church, maybe our church, but I think the modern church, the church here in America. And I think that that is what, just to go back to the question in the beginning, I think that that is what's keeping us from living the life God has for us, is that we may not be saying it with our mouths, but we're saying it without our hearts that Jesus plus something equals everything, not Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus these actions, these works, that leads to, that leads to, to everything. And there's people, what makes us different than other people, right? Other people here in mass that are, consider, they want to be good people, they want to be moral people, they live a good life. They know the Ten Commandments. They try to follow those. Well, we know they, they fail. The difference is that those people are still wicked by heart, right? When we act in the manner of those act in the manner that our works can justify us and before before a holy and just God, that is sinful. I absolutely love the book of Galatians because I, it really does highlight the fact that people that there is people trying to substitute works for spirituality, works for a real purpose, a real right before God. 
This substitute keeps many from entering a real relationship with God and keeps Christians from being used by God to their full potential. This idea that we can add on to what Jesus has already done. We have, a, we have some type of uh, calling or purpose or we have some type of influence on being right before God. God says that our, on our best day, our, our, our good works, the best works are like filthy rags before him. To quote Pastor Steve, Jesus didn't come to make, to, to make our works better, right? He didn't make, come to work to make bad people less bad. He came to make dead people alive. Peter was alive. He was communicating that he was alive because of part of, because of what he has done. Paul couldn't, Paul couldn't stand that. Now, I want to be very clear. There are a lot of people who are Christians right here. Um, and you are alive, right? You are alive in Christ. But I think of in Revelation for, and this is, I, this was, by the way, this was a sermon to me. When I was studying this, this was a complete sermon to me. So I'm gonna be very clear about that. But I, when I was going through this, I got to Revelation and I was reminded of Revelation. Dave, do we have this? Revelation 2. And this is for the Christians, right? These are for the Christians in the room. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. This is Jesus' words to the church of Ephesus. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and they are not and have found them liars. You're doing work for me. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. This borderline, like, I almost shed a tear when I read this, because it's like, man, you're, this, this church was doing so much for God, right? They were doing so much for God, but they forgot that God cares more about his relationship with them than, they do, than he does for their works, what he's doing, what they're doing for him. And I think that this attitude, this idea that we can be so compelled, especially in a, in a city that, like Boston, we can be so compelled just to continue to do the things of Christianity. We can continue to do the works of Christianity. We know what those are. Many of us know what those are. Go to church on Sunday. Maybe go to a home fellowship throughout the week, right? Maybe go to university on your campus. Maybe talk about God once in a while to your family. Right? You're doing all of these things. Maybe confront people's bad behavior. But you, have, you haven't had a real, you forgot your first love. You haven't had a real relationship with, with your Savior and for I don't know how long. Right? When's the last time you spent extended time in prayer? I say this to challenge myself. When's the last time you took a day and just went out on, went out on a date with your God? Like whether that be a long drive or a walk, Right? God cares more about that than he does you serving in Sunday school. Like that's the hot topic. God has already done the work. He just wants to be yours. He wants, to, he wants you to be able to clearly say it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's not Jesus plus coming to church on Sunday. Great thing. We'd love to have you here. Paul confronted Peter in community. Community is important. Community doesn't save you. 
community doesn't love you the same way that your God loves you. And this is the truth of the gospel, right? When Peter sees that the truth of the gospel is being challenged, he brings this up twice. He brings it up in verse 5. You can look here. It says, To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Peter didn't take his foot off the gas. Sorry, Paul didn't take his foot off the gas for even an hour when it came to the truth of the gospel. Then he goes back and says in verse 14, when he's, that was to, to these other leaders, but now he's talking about a brother that he loves and he studied under and says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, he said to, he confronted them before them all. Jesus is complete. Paul understands how serious the gospel is. The gospel is nothing to play with. The gospel being that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. if If you take nothing from today, I want that to be it. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live, you couldn't live, I couldn't live. That Jesus died a perfect, he died a death that we couldn't die. And if we are gonna die it, we can't resurrect from it Right? If, we, if we answer for our sins by ourselves before God, there's no coming back from that. Right? Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. He died a de- death that, we, that he didn't deserve, that we deserve, that we really can't do. And he gives us his riches. Paul experienced those riches. Paul experienced the freedom that he had in Christ. And he sees people adding to that, and it breaks his heart. Now, as I'm coming to the end, I think it's something that I I never want to end. Well, I shouldn't say that. When I'm when I'm thinking about okay, well, how do I close this, Lord? Right? What does that What does that mean? We know that it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But what does that mean? What does that mean for those who don't know you, God? It means that you're standing before God. Right, trying to add something to it, and that's sinful. Right, you, there's there's probably a reason why you don't feel comfortable before God. And for the Christian, what does that mean? For those who have put our trust and faith in Christ, have a relationship with God, maybe haven't worked on that relationship in quite some time. I love how Paul, and we're going to go a little bit further here. I love how Paul. It's one of, probably one of the most popular verses Paul has ever written. It's in Galatians 2.20. I love how Paul closes this little area, this little section. Paul reminds the church of Galatia that I, Jordan, I, place your name if you're a Christian, have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is living in, living with Jesus, living in Jesus, dying with Jesus, rising with Jesus, being in fellowship with Jesus. That's our job, right? If there's a work that we're called to do, it's to love God. It's to love Jesus. It's to put him first in our lives. Now, as I close, I'm going to ask two questions. The first is that you may know of Jesus. 
You may know some of his Ten Commandments. You may, know, you may have followed some of them. You may even consider yourself a good person. But you lack the confidence of your standing before God. And I would say that you lack it because you try to earn it. You cannot earn your standing before a holy and just God, a perfect God. But the beauty is that he's offering you forgiveness. He's offering you perfection. Now, when I, when I often talk, I, I'm in finance, I do wealth management, and one of the things, when I talk about something, people go, man, this is just too good to be true. I'm like, it's not too good to be true, but it's too good to be free, right? This life that we have in God isn't too good to be true. This life that you can have in God, this, this, this love that God has for you that you can truly have a VIP experience to isn't too good to be true, but it is too good to be free. It costs Jesus. It costs God. His son is offering his life as a payment, right, to fulfill that payment that's necessary. He's offering his riches, and all he wants is your, he wants you to give up these filthy rags. The last is, you may be a Christian, but like the church in Ephesus, you have forgotten your first love. You haven't worked on your first love. When's the last time you went on a date with your first love? My wife and I, we have date night every week, every Wednesday. And I, I, won't, I expect that never to change, right? I think it's important. If I'm late to it, I feel awful because I know how much she looks forward to it every week. We, if we didn't have, if we didn't have a, a time where we spent five to six hours uninterrupted, not talking about anything but each other, what type of relationship is that? What type of, what type of relationship is that? If we're not, I, how can I say I love her if, she, if I know she's a quality time person? I'm not spending quality time. And I think about that with our Savior. He's a quality time God. I think he has a perfect five love languages. He's a, all of them. He's perfect. He, wants all, he loves all of them. But I do think our God's a quality time God. So it's time to rekindle your first love. Today's a new day. Yesterday's in the past. Pick up your cross and follow your Lord. If you've been asked to pray, please come up and pray. Um, I'm so grateful that I got to share with you guys something that God's been speaking to me. That works keep us from living the life that we're called to live. And not works themselves, but works thinking that those works make us right before God or putting us in a better position before God. And then for those people who don't know God, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. So if any of this spoke to you, there's going to be people here praying. I'll be up here. Uh, feel free to pray with me. I'd love to pray for you guys. Thank you for your time. Let me just close in a quick prayer. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your son. Lord, I thank you for the truth of the gospel, Lord, that it's your son plus nothing equals everything, God. Father, I just pray this morning, Lord, as we close up, Lord, I pray that your son would be on our minds, 
who would be in our hearts, that we would desire, leaving this place, we would desire just to be with him, Lord. And Father, for those who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would be challenged to be with him, God, that they would see that that is everything. Everything else is like a filthy rag, Lord. Father, we love you. We need you. Please bless this time of worship in Jesus' name.